the United States is prepared to work with other countries toward a goal of jointly mobilizing $100 billion a year by 2020 to address the climate change needs of developing countries. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Today is Friday, December 18th, and that was Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, you heard at the top of the podcast, and she was giving us our Planet Money Indicator. Adam? A hundred billion dollars. Yes, there it is. So as of this moment, Friday afternoon, it's 12, almost 1 o'clock, 12 50, December 18th. That's New York time, which means it's 6.50 in the evening Copenhagen time. I'm picturing a David Kestenbaum going out to dinner with some of his reporter friends. Maybe not quite yet, right, but soon. Definitely involving some beer. And meanwhile, the heads of 192 countries in Copenhagen, they have not decided on a way to save the planet. We were going to actually hold the podcast today until we had something to report, but it's now becoming clear that today we are not going to have anything to report on any shocking last-minute agreement on climate change. I, I guess we could hold the podcast till Sunday to see if something happens then, and then probably not from what we're hearing. So maybe we should just hold it for 14 years or so. <laughs> yeah, let's just air it. <laughs> okay. but and, and we did have some things that we wanted to talk about. We've been you know hearing a lot from David from Copenhagen. Um, and a lot about how, you know, just because it's climate change, it doesn't mean that it's not all about the money. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has left a lot of money on the table on Thursday and waiting for China to basically throw down as well. And as of this recording, 1252 now, it is still sitting there. A hundred billion dollars just burning a hole in some table in Copenhagen. We called our own dearly beloved and much missed David Kessenbaum in Copenhagen earlier to talk about the difficulties of figuring out how much all of this climate change stuff will cost the world. $100 billion, $200 billion, who knows? But also, he says, at the at the core of the debate is not these big, big $100 billion numbers. It's how much is just a ton of carbon worth? Probably a lot less than you thought. But the bigger question is, how do you create a market to, to figure out what a ton of carbon would be. But actually, the most fun in talking to David was just finding out what it's like when you put all in one giant convention center, all these heads of state and all these like really serious, sober policy wonks and a whole bunch of earth activists all together. You will have, you know, our top diplomatic negotiators walking out of meetings and then passing people who are dressed as, I don't know, polar bears or have uh, life preservers around their necks or, you know, and, and it's just everybody's all in this total mix. What's the craziest thing you've seen? Um, well, you know, there was this huge protest um, the other, over the weekend and it was like, I don't know, 40,000 people or something uh, walking from downtown out to here. And I thought I just, I was working. So I thought when they get here, I'll walk out there. And it was a little bit late. And by the time I got out there, there were actually only, um, I would say like 12 people left. Wow. <laughs> All around a fire that they'd built in the middle of the street out of their uh, protest signs. Some of them were quite funny. They said, um, there is no planet B, meaning this is the only, <laughs> right. the only planet we have. And, um, and uh, actually, I think and, uh, there, was, there was music playing. And I realized the music was being powered by a guy on a bicycle like he'd, he'd rigged this generator off a bicycle so you could he could bike along and while he was biking it would also charge the battery and just it was spitting out music can i talk to you while you're dancing 
Sure, you can keep dancing if you want. It's hard to talk though. Woo! Tell me what your sign says. It says emission is not a good. Shouldn't it be emission is not a good thing? No, emission is not a good as like you cannot sell it or buy it. Ah. Because they are making this emission trade, which is a bad thing because then like rich countries would buy or sell their emissions to poor countries. So Adam, what, what he's upset about is that um, this idea, the way economists view this whole problem of climate change is that, um, is that we need to put a price on something invisible. And that invisible thing is a ton of uh, greenhouse gases, a ton of carbon. The whole problem, for the, that's, that's the way an economist would look at this. It's not that uh, you know, the glaciers are melting. It's that there's no price for carbon emissions. So, so if I, I mean, I live in New York City. If I, if I put my recycling out wrong, the city charges me a fine. If I pollute a river, um, I'm charged a fine. There's some fee for the pollution. But for carbon, there, there's, no, there's no fee for that. It's just what economists call an externality, an uncaptured externality. I just, I'm, you know, I'm a factory or whatever. Um, I, I cause carbon pollution, and that's free to me. And as we know, when something is free, we overconsume it. We tend to, if the price isn't accurately assessed, we tend to overconsume that thing. So factories overconsume the pushing out of carbon into the environment. Is that the basic right. idea? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. and so, so the actual, the, uh, the common way, the way that everyone talks about dealing with this is through something called cap and trade. So what's something you want to limit? Just give me an example. What's annoying to you? What's annoying <laughs> to me is... Um, Bad Hollywood movies. Bad Hollywood movies. Okay, so we want to limit the number of bad Hollywood movies, so we will have bad Hollywood movie permits, and we're going to put a cap on the number of bad Hollywood movies. We'll say they're only... How many should we limit it to? Like three? No, I feel like teenagers need something to go to, so let's say ten a year. Okay, so the government puts out ten bad Hollywood movie permits, and Hollywood now has to fight over those, right? Because they all want to make it. So then there's some value attached to that. So They're Sony to is going to Universal and saying, "I'll give you twelve million for that bad movie permit." <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's the same idea with carbon. You know, the government would put out carbon permits, and then people would buy and sell them. So I mean, it's sort of a strange idea, right? Because you're putting a price on this invisible gas. And um, I talked to Janet Peace here. She's an economist uh, at the Pew Center. And she, she admits it, it is a kind of strange idea. It is a strange idea. It's, it's not a soybean market. We're not creating a market for um, soybeans. It's a created market. So what we're trying to do is actually incentivize those reductions by means of a price. What you're saying is basically the price of electricity is wrong right now because it does not include this other thing, which is that, by the way, you're doing damage to the planet with the emissions. Absolutely. There's, um, an it's a correction, really. You're correcting the price of everything else in the world. We're, we're trying to include or put back in that price so people think about that price when they make their decisions, when they look at what kind of factory they want to build in the future, when they look at what kind of car they might want to buy in the future. We want them to think about that price when they make their decisions. So, Adam, actually, you know, a carbon market exists because the European Union has a cap-and-trade system in place. And if you go to this website, pointcarbon.com, you can actually see the price, and it's around uh, $21 a ton right now. And it goes up and down. It kind of tracks the the global economy, the stock market, because with a recession... There was less demand for electricity, so less demand for less carbon was going to be emitted, so less need for pollution permits, and the price went down. It goes it goes up and down like a real market. But th- there are difficulties because it's um you know it's a completely artificial market, right? It's not like soybeans or 
corn or something. It depends on how many permits are out there, which are set by the government. So I ran into this guy, Dirk Forrester, who is with a company called NatSource, and he used to work on their, uh, basically like on, the, on their, their trading desk, helping set up trades. And he told me about, if there's a problem with it, this is the problem, is that in order for companies to really trust these these uh, carbon credits and for the market to really work, they need certainty. You know, that's what they hate is uncertainty. If the government were to start, uh, you know, saying it's going to only have a certain number of permits, then it really changes its mind. Like, that sort of thing would create a problem. What would frighten traders is if governments reached in and said, ah, we're going to ease things up a whole lot or we're going to tighten things up a whole lot. They, they don't, um, they, they really like to be uh, left to make a market work and to do what they can do best, which is um, bring the efficiencies to it, really, by finding opportunities. And, you know, if, if this market works well, you'll have people crawling all over the United States looking for ways to reduce emissions so that they can make a buck. And that's that's a pretty cool thing to unleash, and we've never seen it in the U.S., but when I was living in Europe, I saw it. An industry sprouted up overnight of people that crawl around looking for ways to reduce emissions. So they're thinking, like, if Republicans get elected, suddenly there's more carbon permits and the price of carbon goes way down. So if... President Obama's president, but I think maybe a Republican will be president next. I'm not going to pay for a permit now. Is It, it kind of messes – the more yeah, yeah, politics I mean, based, in the market, the more it messes up the pricing. Yeah, because it's not like you're just watering you – know, what is the weather going to be like for growing oranges next year? You know, It's more like who's going to get elected and are the laws we have in place going to stay in place? Are our targets going to change? You know, it, 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 it could get really complicated. So we're Planet Money. Our, our focus is applying economics to everyday life and to big global problems. And, and, and so what you're saying is for, for all the argument about are the polar bears going to go extinct and does China have more responsibility here or does the U.S. have more responsibility? And it really comes down to a very simple thing. A ton of carbon, which you said sort of fills a big hot air balloon, has to have a price. We need to know how much that is. When I think of a ton of carbon, I immediately think of some big factory belching out carbon. But the point is that even though I don't run a factory, I actually, I produce carbon, right? We all produce carbon in our day-to-day life by what products we buy, whether we drive or not, whether we, uh, you know, whether we lower our thermostat, all that stuff. Right. So this uh, this would all change all those all those prices too, right? Electricity presumably would get a bit more expensive. You know, driving your car would probably get more expensive, you know, gas because gasoline would be more expensive and, uh, you know that that's that's how it's supposed to get everybody to re- to reduce emissions. The average American puts out a ton of carbon uh, about every two weeks. So every two weeks, you directly indirectly are responsible for putting about the amount of uh, you know carbon dioxide that would fit in a huge um, hot air balloon into the atmosphere. That's that's your personal contribution. Think about that every two weeks. Okay, so if it's twenty bucks for a ton of carbon, and I'm doing twenty, so forty bucks a month. I can handle that. That's not so bad. I could pay 40 bucks a month to save the environment. All right. Send, send me your check. <laughs> I mean, I'll is that a way to think about it, that at the end of the day this might cost more, but it's not going to cost – it's like a buck a day. It's like, you know, what we ask people to give to public radio. Yeah, I've actually been talking – they do a lot of – there are a lot of models about the economic cost of, of dealing with this. And, you know, it, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're an employer, though, suppose you're making – uh, steel or aluminum or something that requires a lot of electricity, right? Then your costs of electricity have gone up, and so maybe you can't hire as many workers. I mean, it's 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 fairly complicated. But then there are new jobs, you know, people building uh, wind farms or solar 
panels. And so sorting through all that is difficult. All right. But I, I got to say, this conversation is making me feel like, okay, this, this will mean stuff will cost more, at least stuff that's involved in, in polluting. It'll also mean that um, maybe our economy will grow a little slower. But it's manageable. It sounds like the numbers you're talking about. They're big. They're scary. They're politically hard. But they're not crazy. Like, it, it, it's... It doesn't mean that poor people will never become rich people and that I will never have more money than I do today. It's, it's all manageable. It's certainly manageable for, for us as a rich country. I think the question is, you know, what's the impact on the poorer countries, right? You know, a small hit to the GDP of India, obviously, a lot of people who are going to get electricity that year might not get electricity that year, right? So that's the real question. India is saying, you can't slow down our growth. Like, it's just too painful for us. You know, if you want to make us do something more expensive, you have to help us out. And I just have to wait another year for the new cool iPhone or whatever. I'm okay <laughs> think, with a little slower I think growth, you have to wait another week. It might be another week or a day or something. Right. <laughs> I, think that's how it, I think that's how much it slows down the U.S. economy in over, over 10 or 20 years or something. Yeah. All right. David, come home. We miss you. Okay. I'll see you soon. Thanks. See you soon. Bye. Uh, what radio was that? Uh, National Public Radio. For which country? Uh, the United States. Can I greet the Reese family? The, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Greetings to the Risi family in Taft from there, George. In where are they? In Taft, California. I see. Okay, thank you. So, Adam, negotiations are still happening right now. They're still going on. And I, I just got a dispatch from our guy on the floor, David Kestenbaum, that I want to just read. So he wrote me this email. It says, Hey, Hana, I just woke up from taking a nap on the floor here. Obama and Wen Jiaobao just met one-on-one for a second time, the leaders of the two largest greenhouse gas emitters. I can't imagine what the conversation is like. Everything kind of hinges on them at this point. The U.S. wants China to put its pledge in writing. China doesn't want to. Obama says there's no way to verify if anyone is living up to their pledge. It's all empty words on a page. And there's a draft circulating now, just four pages of text. It lays out some stuff that's been emerging in the last few days, in particular that developed countries pledge to create a climate fund of $100 billion a year by 2020 to help developing countries. But it's unclear where the money will come from, and it's the low end of what some developing countries had been seeking. We'll see. Love, David. <laughs> Thank you, David. We love you, too. And that sounds um, like that's slightly less depressing than the impression we had slightly earlier. I'm not going to call it less depressing, no. Yeah, same depressing. Same depressing. <laughs> I think that does it for us, Hana. Okay, you can find us online at npr.org slash money. And as always, our email, planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. Yeah.